Hello, good morning. My name is Derek, and uh, I get a chance to work with uh, pastors throughout the CTK network. That's kind of my day job. And on an unrelated note, I really liked the video. I'm into clouds. So uh, I just wanted to let you know if, uh, if you were wondering, does this guy like clouds? He does. And uh, what do you think of clouds? I think clouds get kind of a bad rap, you know, like the cloud hanging over me or in cartoons, there's always like the little cloud dripping on people and stuff. And if I asked you, what do you think of clouds? You might say, I, I think it's kind of creepy that adults dress up in goofy clothes and makeup just to hang around small children. And I'd say, not clowns, clouds. And then, and then you'd say, well, Derek, I live in Washington State. I don't really know that I can have an opinion on the subject because we just get it whether we like it or not. And um, they're often gloomy things, but I think clouds are great. You see, because in the Bible, clouds symbolize the power and the presence of God. Now, my parents are watching online right now from uh, Arizona, where they chose to retire. And if I ask them, hi, mom and dad. And if I ask them, what do you think of clouds? My dad would say, it's really not about clouds. It's about sun. And sun is a different thing entirely. And if I asked my mom, she'd say something about Ronald McDonald because she still thinks we're talking about clowns. So, hi, love you guys. And, um, but what I want you to know here today is clouds are a symbol of the power and presence of God. So when we see the, those, those clouds moving over the terrain in that intro video, I just imagine the power and the presence of God hovering over us. And when we live and we go out into a, a, a canopy of clouds and we don't even know what the sun is, we could be frustrated or we could just be reminded of the power and the presence of God. So I'm pretty much pro-cloud, I'm team cloud, and I'd like you all to join me. So thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Um, but my wife, Christina, loves clouds, and uh, she, she always said that she was looking for the perfect cloud, and we wrote uh, letters to each other that our best man and maid of honor would read at our wedding, and in my letter, it said something so romantic. It was something like, I will be wherever you go whenever you find your perfect cloud. I'll just be right there by your side. So um, I'm sappy with clouds too, and uh, I've got a wedding video to prove it. So, But in Exodus 13, it says that God led his people, like led his people with a cloud by day. And um, could you imagine, like, if we walked out, we'd be like, which way am I going? There's clouds everywhere. I don't even know. But he led his people with a cloud by day and fire by night. And it may be overly simplistic. But how many of us would just love, would just love to know that God's power and that God's presence was with us and was leading us. I think we all want that, don't we? God's power alone isn't enough. And that might sound really, really weird to say about a God who created everything, about a God who just 
just seems to put out more and more and more and more planets faster than we can create the things we can look at them. But, but if I were to be honest, I'd say God's power is not enough because if God is all-powerful but completely distant, what use is it to us? And, and it might be weird to say that God's presence is enough if, if, if God were just with us but wasn't powerful and able to do anything about it, would it matter? But we serve and know and have opportunity to grow close to a God who is all-powerful and who offers his presence. And we see in the book of Acts that God is both. God is powerful and God is present. So last week, if you were here or watched online... Dan kicked off this series called Unshakable, which is a closer look at the book of Acts. And together, we're reading a few chapters each week. So you're supposed to read three, four, and five if you're a little behind. I just, uh, honestly, I put in the headphones and I let the guy do the reading for me. It's really, it doesn't get any easier than that, right? He's just like almost, you know, very subdued, but, but it, it gets it done. So, so get God's word in you. There's no excuses, right? There, but we're reading this together and then we're gonna have a message during this series. And then the hope is, is to get in, around a few other people and, and, and kind of digest what we're learning together. And that's why Chris is talking about small groups and an opportunity uh, to, to, to check in with each other. So we're gonna be looking today at Acts chapter three verses 1 through 8, but before we get there, I want to share a few verses from last week. So Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, even Birch Bay, Washington. So, and then it says in Acts 2.2, Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, this is, uh, this is an event that happens 50 days after uh, the, the resurrection of Jesus. It's known as Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit uh, fills believers in a way that is tangible and real and there's like there's like tongues of fire and they're speaking all these languages and all this healing is happening and they're like obviously you know God's here because you cannot do these things apart from the reality of God now Peter stands up and he addresses the crowd because they don't know what's going on and says listen people aren't drunk this is simply God fulfilling what he said he would fulfill through the prophet Joel. And people, people love the energy of this, so much so that they're selling stuff and they're, they're, they're pooling all their money together and they're saying like, like, like this is really good. What would happen if, if, if we just lived like this daily? And, and they, they, started, uh, they started devoting themselves to teaching. They started uh, praying lots and lots together. They started uh, hanging out, uh, and, and the word is, is fellowship here, and they started breaking bread together or eating together and teaching. It's not new. There were plenty of teachers at the time. Prayer wasn't new. People had been encouraged to pray since childhood, and obviously eating and spending time together wasn't new. But what was new for these early believers is they were experiencing the power and the presence of God 
in tangible ways through the Holy Spirit. There was a power shift, and there was a presence shift. So now let's look together at the beginning of chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. I'll read them. It's a little easier that way. You can just say where you're at. Um, One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, and he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Now, if you read commentaries or historians, they'll say that this was uh, three o'clock was the hour that uh, Jesus was crucified, and that might have been why they were going up there. Some other people would say, well, it was actually a really good time because people were going there to pray. It was a good time to come and, and talk to Jesus. But what's important not to miss in this commentary is they're walking by a person who has been here for years, which means Jesus must have walked by this guy, by this guy many times. Okay, that's what's important not to miss here is Jesus had walked by this guy many times and not healed him. But all of a sudden, this guy cries out when he saw Peter and John about to enter. He asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And so this guy's expecting uh, to get something. And then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And then he says, walk. And uh, there's tension in this, right? Because, wait, I don't have silver, I don't have gold, but I'll, I'll give you what you really need. Right? Like, I can feed you for a little bit. I don't have that to feed you. But how about we change your life forever? And this guy says, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Will you pray with me? Father God, I, uh, I don't want to miss what you are saying to us in this passage. Lord, I love that we're going through the book of Acts, but I love more that you are a God who is all-powerful and very present. And Holy Spirit, I'd be lying if I said I, I, I haven't read this many times thinking I want to be like Peter, I want to be like John, and I want to say stuff and, 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 and see miracles. But God, in the vulnerability of this prayer, and in this moment, I want to say, Lord, I'm like a beggar. And I pray for, for, for the next 20 or minutes or so that we could be honest and open before you and see what it is that we're really looking for and not just dismiss this as a, as, a, as a little story that was cute for a couple thousand years ago, but encounter a God who is just as powerful and just as present today in a way that could, could possibly heal parts of us that we didn't even know needed healing. Would you come, Holy Spirit? We know that you're here, but we invite you. We recognize your presence, and we invite you here in a, in, in a special way. Blow through this place uh, and touch those of us 
uh, who are bold enough like this man to say, I, I, I need something from you, trusting that you, you don't just give us what we think we need, you give us what we really need. So we ask for that, and we pray together in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So that's, that's, that's my prayer. And um, if we look more closely at this passage, and we're willing to be honest with, with, with some self-examination, we can see that there's a few things going on here. And, and, and one of the things is, I think we're to get hungry. And what do I mean by that? So Acts 3.2 says, A man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate, where he came every day to beg. So, so what he was hungry for was, was could, could someone just give me some money? I don't have a way to make an income. I got to eat. Get some food in my belly, right? I'm hungry. And, and I think what, what we need to see here is, is there is a type of boldness that comes from hunger, this willingness to go and put yourself in a place every single day where it's like, I will not rest until someone helps me out. And this man was put, he had to be brought there by friends or family at the temple gate every day. Every day he'd ask for other people to meet his needs. Now when I didn't know God, and I didn't grow up in a church, so I, I, I realized I had a hunger for something, but I did not even know what it was for. It was like this desire for Snickers, but nothing really could satisfy. And when I heard the story of Jesus, I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it because the friends who were telling me the story didn't seem to believe it themselves. They didn't seem satisfied. Right, So why would you believe in a flimsy message? Uh, because it's just, you know, you might as well believe this message or this message or this message. I didn't believe it until I met some people who were satisfied in the person of Jesus. And when they were, were, were walking in closeness to God, it just, it, it, it was like a mirror to my soul. I realized that I had nothing that I was looking for. So I begin to be hungry. I begin to be hungry for the reality of God and for the things of God. And I started like that beggar going daily, seeking him. God, will, will you find me? God, will you help me? God, am, am I excluded? Or God, do you have a place for me? And of course I found that there was a place for me and that I hadn't out the grace of God and there was an opportunity for me to be cleaned up and, and, and welcomed like that, that son returning home and, and, and that God would honor me and, and give me purpose and peace. Now, I wish I could stand here and say that I've stayed hungry for God like that the entirety of my time following him, but that wouldn't be true. So if I'm honest, I need to say that, that, that there are seasons where I wander into other interests and activities. And even though I'm frequently checking in with God, I, I see in, in many seasons I lose my hunger for him. So when we snack on other things, we can, we can lose interest in the main thing, right? Your mom taught you that. Don't fill up on junk food before dinner, right? Now, a few pastors and I met uh, a few years ago with a group of people that, that their job was to study revivals. And they had strict guidelines for what actually counted as a revival. So it was a move of God that would create sustained change 
in a region or an area. And what they would look like were indicators like crime going down, more crops being produced, marriages being healed, less family difficulties, financial blessing with businesses growing, and less people uh, turning to drugs and alcohol. Often there were many uh, personal and physical healings uh, in addition to huge societal changes. Um, so it wasn't just someone putting up a, a sign in front of their church saying, hey, we're having a revival. It was saying, what is happening for the next couple years after a move of God? And they studied over 700 uh, recent or, or um, within the last 100-year revival and like over 500 historical revivals. And, and, and they found uh, three consistent markers. Are you interested in what those might be? I'll tell you later, but <laughs> no. Uh, no, there were three things, and because uh, we're all pastors, and we're supposed to know this stuff, and we're like, oh yeah, it's probably, you know, like prayer and um, good treats after the message, that'd be a good thing, and uh, what's the third thing? I don't even know, like uh, um, dodgeball, probably, so, um, but no, the first was devastation, so how crazy is that to think that uh, over 1,200 revivals, the consistent thing that they found is that an area had experienced devastation. Now, devastation wasn't clarified specifically. Sometimes it was political. Sometimes it was economical. Sometimes it was uh, a, a move of God uh, through, through earthquake. Or, um, but there's devastation. So every uh, area that experienced revival had gone through some type of devastation. And this led to desperation. And not by the whole community. By a few people, a small group of people started crying out to God, God, will you change my city? God, will you change my region? God, we will not stop. Lord, we are knocking and we are begging for you to come and do something. And so on, on, on the back end of uh, devastation with, with the group of people, and they would find these people. They'd find here was the group of people that faithfully prayed and called out. It led to transformation. And transformation looked like more people calling out to God together, more people knocking together, more people dissatisfied with the status quo together. And, and every time they would see this, they would see this pattern that that. Devastation would lead to desperation, which would lead to transformation. And then they left us with this, this question, like, are you willing to experience devastation to see the sustained, transformed work of God? Now, as pastors, you have to know, like, our job is to kind of protect people. Like, we want to shelter you guys from the bad stuff. But the truth is, is that we don't bring the rain we don't bring the clouds. We don't bring the covering. We don't shift the planets. Uh, there is a lot going on that we have absolutely nothing to do with, but we know the one who holds it all in the palm of his hand. And so we started praying, God, your kingdom come, and God, your will be done, and God, you do whatever it takes to transform our region for you. And then what have we experienced? I don't know if it's unique But I do know that we have a unique opportunity to respond in desperation. 
we must have a lot of like auto theft around here. <laughs> I mean, that's like the fourth one. I'm just like, I mean, do we need a parking lot attendant or, I mean, cause I'm really getting into it. And then it's just like, oh. All right. Um, so yeah, this is this is. I feel devastated right now. So, um, in my mind, uh, I want revival. Like in my mind, I I say that I want it, but in my life, I often settle for just status quo, just just you know, just comfortable. And. Um, but when I surround myself with other people that are hungry for Jesus, I am reminded that I am built for something that nothing in this world can satisfy. So if I were to ask you, what do you need to stay hungry for God? What would you say? What do you need to stay hungry for God? I could ask if you did your devotions and if you had your quiet time and if you spent time in prayer and you could go, yeah, no, maybe so. And then we could move to talking on about the Mariners or fishing or investing in crypto. I don't know what you guys talk about up here, but everybody talks about something. But what if I asked, are you hungry for God? Or what would it take for you to be hungry for God? I bet you know that it's not just a checklist. I bet you know that it's not just, you know, status quo. I bet you know that there is a God who wants to stir your heart. And if you were brave enough to step into those spaces, he would start doing just that. What would it take to get hungry? What would it take to stay hungry? Honestly, we can sit in services for years and years. We can check off boxes and boxes of good things that we've done. And we can live an entire lifetime without being truly hungry for him. Did God create you to be hungry for something? And is it him? What would it take to be hungry for God. Well, let's, let's look farther in this passage. Um, we also see um, in this passage that, that, that there's actual healing. The healing that gets Peter and John uh, thrown into prison. So it's such a big deal that this guy that everybody knows um, gets healed, that, that um, they get, they get uh, hauled in front of a, a public trial and they get questioned, and the, the, the church is just praying for their release. And uh, in this time, the, the number of believers grows from 120 to over 5,000. It's kind of amazing. So they're, they're, they're experiencing some devastation, and they're just desperate for God. And God start believing the word, the words that these, these, these apostles are preaching, and, and the church starts growing. But to this person, this person got healed. So Acts 3, 6, then Peter said, silver or gold, I do I give you. Walk. Am I dropping out? Am I good? You need me to talk louder? No? 
So I, love to re- I would love to read this passage and feel like I could just dish out healings the way that, you know, Oprah hands out cars. You get a healing, and you get a healing, and you get a healing. But it doesn't work that way. And, and it's not about the person who's doing the healing. It is about, and these guys stand up and profess, this is not about us. But why would you be surprised that the author of life can heal? You hung him on a cross, but he is the one that can heal. And again, I'm not Peter or John in this passage. If I'm honest, I'm the beggar. I have nothing but a need for healing. I'm unable to walk on my own, but with Jesus, I can truly walk. And what's, what's fascinating about this passage in cultural power dynamics, we see a type of upside-down power. I don't know what's going on. I'm new here, so... Um, I'm unstoppable. I mean, like, I feel, I'm pretty passionate, so I, I, I... Check. I mean... I, I also really need to cough, and um, is it okay? Could I just have, like, a public moment to cough for a second I'm like trying not to I'm like COVID they're all gonna hate me like I am not sick I promise all right thank you Woo! I've been holding that in gosh anyway but what we see is an upside down type of power our, our world is, is greatly impacted, and we're seeing this right now across the news. Our world has always been impacted by those seeking power, those seeking money or influence or position uh, who are willing to take it by force. Um, I'm just going to keep going until they, t- they stop me. So go like that? Okay, like closer? up higher don't hold the bottom all right we're getting this down okay Uh, i'm ready now everybody hands in the air okay um back to jesus the early followers of jesus learned quickly that god did not intend power to come at the cost of another I'm going to say that again. The early followers of Jesus learned quickly that God did not intend for power to come at the cost of another, but he extended his power to others at the cost of himself. There's a power shift, right? So up until now, people were grabbing power. People were looking for power. People assumed that even the early believers had power that was in themselves, and they were saying, no, our power comes from above. Do you get this? Do you understand that if you have Jesus, you have exactly what another person needs? They might not understand that it's what they need, but if they're honest enough to say that they want something, like we don't, we don't have a lot of honest conversations anymore, but if, if, uh, if, if people were honest and said, yeah, I just want power. I just, I'm really just a, about money or fame, um, then we would know that, 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 that nothing in that is going to satisfy. But most of us are, are, you know, we try to be more noble and we're saying stuff like, I just want to be a good person and I just want to help people. But even the best of us is self-deceived. 
The best of us with the best motives can use good deeds as a way to feel better about ourselves only to find that feeling better about ourselves is not what we need. Each of us needs a healing that only Jesus can bring. A soul healing that rewires our desire for earthly power and, and aligns us with power from above. There's a lot of people in the world that are freaking out about what's been going on. Right? It's crazy out there. And every time it seems like something is slowing down, another problem in the world pops up. Have you noticed this? And we should be praying for Ukraine. And we should be praying that, that believers in Ukraine and believers in Russia would, would, would allow this devastation that they are experiencing to, to build up a desperation that would lead to a transformation that can only be found through the person of Jesus Christ. They don't need a political savior. They need the one and only savior, Jesus. And we should be praying for those that are still impacted by the effects of, of COVID and those that have been impacted by, by the effects that, that, that have, have uh, been let out as a result of that. But we should be praying more that God would use this time and this season for us to realize that we are not going to be dominated by fear. We are going to find our true identity in the one and only Savior, Jesus. But for the last two years, we've seen people on both sides. They're just exhausted. They're exhausted of their own effort. They just want, they want to know what's right and they want to do what's right. And they don't want to be deceived by media or politicians or bad science. But as a pastor, what we've noticed is, is because of this, people are isolating more into themselves and more into their own beliefs and unwilling to believe, bring the fullness of their beliefs unto the Lordship of Jesus. And the more that we isolate and judge and categorize, the more we justify our own behavior while critiquing the behaviors of others. We each need to be healed. And we need to be healed from our self-deception. We need to be healed of the ways we justify ourselves and judge others. Isn't this why David cries out, Search me, O God. Know my heart. See if there be any wicked in me and root it all out. Heal me, God. We'll never reach those who think differently if we stay away from them for thinking differently. And others will never get prayed to be more like Jesus if what we want is for them to be more like us. Jesus performed 39 physical recorded miracles. John actually said that there aren't enough books in the world for all the things that he did. But his, perform, his, his followers performed many, many, many more miracles, and so few, so ridiculously few were in or near what we would know as a church. They're out where the people are at. I heard of a man who had the gift of, pe of healing, and people would come and ask him, like, how do I get this gift, and would you just pray for me to get this gift? And he would say, easy, just go out and pray for 50 people in the name of Jesus. And what he said is he invited hundreds of people, he said maybe thousands of people, to just go out and pray over people in the name of Jesus and then come back and, and tell me what happened. And he said only a few people would ever do that, just a handful. Because in honest, we're scared. We don't want to pray for someone and then it not work and then it look like that maybe we don't really believe or that God maybe isn't real or that, you know, and and and, and what would it take? Like, if, if, if I could tell you 
that if you prayed over someone and you asked Jesus in his name to heal someone and it didn't happen, that God would still fully love you and the person that you pray for would still be thankful? Would you pray for more people? We need to take the healing out of the buildings and into the community and God is a God of healing first for us and then for others. So we must receive healing so we can be ourselves like wounded healers. Because those around us, too, are like the beggar. They don't need silver or gold, but what they do need is someone around them who has been with Jesus, who's received his spirit, someone who's willing to pray for them and offer them what only he can give. So think about that. Who around you needs prayer? Not stuff, but prayer. Who around you needs God's presence? Not stuff, but God's presence. Who around you needs God's power? Not tricks or, 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 you know, you feeling like you've got some super gift, but actually God's power. So we look at God's healing. And then let's look at, at, at verse 3-8. And what I say, then we need to get helping. So he jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And you're like, well, he's walking and jumping. How is, in the, how is that helping other people, Derek? So I was like, well, simple. The story of Jeremy Klinecki. You know that one, right? The story of Jeremy Klinecki. That's how you're like, oh, who, what, what? Well, in my world, I did not believe in Jesus. But Jeremy Klinecki went and met Jesus in a way that was so crazy real. I was like, oh my gosh. If God can reach Jeremy Klinecki, maybe God can reach me. And you know, when, when, when Jesus heals this beggar through Peter or John in a way that he is jumping and praising and people see that there is a God in heaven, that helps so many people, you guys. Like 5,000 people come to the Lord. So our praise is helping others. Our prayers are helping others. Our authentic community lived rightly is helping others. So this is in your notes, um, the last two lines. It says, the book of Acts is about a power shift. God shifts his power from heaven to earth. Like up until now, the, 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 the cloud of covering and direction was directed from heaven. And God now comes into his people, right? His power uh, is now shown through, and his presence is now shown through the Holy Spirit. So the book of Acts also reveals a presence shift, that he is forever with us. There's nowhere you can go. Try this. Go, go, go try and find one place you can go from the presence of God. You can't do it. The book of Acts records the beginning of what we know now as the church. People always tell me like, oh, Derek, I'd love to go back to the beginning. And I'm like, no, there's a reason to remember the beginning. And there's a lot of people who want to, I was just talking to someone uh, before the service, who want, who, who want to focus or lurk a, and, and learn about what's to come. And so we are to remember uh, what, and honor what God has done in the past, and we are to anticipate with expectancy what God's about to do in the future, but we can't miss what God is doing currently in his presence today in ways that he would use us to help others to see him 
and know him. Uh, his presence was originally seen in other ways, including this, this cloud, and clouds are covering. I hope that everybody will think of the presence and power of God every time they see a cloud. That would be a lot, and that would not be enough. So uh, clouds are covering, and we can't make clouds, and we can't change the weather, but we can know the one who can. But now God has sent his spirit. Could I have the band come up? And um, I'm just going to have a little, uh, an opportunity to respond. And um, so wherever you're seating, uh, sitting, I'd just like you to, to get comfortable, put your feet in a comfortable posture, kind of your knees like, you know, so you feel comfortable. And not everybody's going to do this. And so I give you permission not to, that's fine. But I also want an opportunity for those who, who just need an opportunity for more of God's power or for more of God's presence. And so we're just going to open up our hands to him. You can just set your, your elbows on your knees and just, just kind of put your, your, your hands open. There's nothing magical or mystical about our posture. It's just, it's just exhibiting a willingness. Go ahead and close your eyes right now. Um, this isn't about your neighbor. Or, um, this is just about a moment with you and the living God. The God who created the stars and the galaxies, the heavens, who names them one by one, who put them all into place, but who reached into the world, who sent his son Jesus, and Jesus as co-creator, who willingly came to show the extent of his love who laid down his life for you, who didn't just die to exchange his death for yours, who, who showed that, 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 that the love is about sacrifice and about going first. Jesus went first for you. Jesus sacrificed for you. And then Jesus conquered death. He was resurrected and didn't stay on the cross and calls you into life, not just when you die, but every moment with him. And in that, he said, you just wait. I'm going to send you on. And then he sends like a mighty wind, his Holy Spirit just blowing through the room. And churches have kind of argued and over if there's a first blessing or a second blessing or when the Holy Spirit comes. And I'm not here to uh, quabble over that. I'm here to say, if there's more of you, Holy Spirit, I want more of you. So just with your hands out, just say that to the Lord. Lord, I want more of you. God, I want to receive. God, a power shift. I want to lay down my efforts. I want to be hungry for you. God, would you change my focus? Would you shift my focus from other things that are good things, but good's the enemy of the best. I want the best that's in you, Jesus. Would you help me to be hungry, God? Would you help me to find a friend or a couple of friends that remind me when I'm falling down that it is about you that I can get hungry with, that we can feast together on the things of God? God, would you help me in healing? Lord, you know what in my life needs personal healing. Would you come and touch me right now? Would you fill me, Holy Spirit? Would you start doing the work of, of, of just maybe breaking me free from some judgments or some fear? some ways that I've isolated or some ways that I've grieved your heart. God, 
God, if I've fallen into judgment or unforgiveness or, God, anything that, that, that would not look like you, God, would you begin to heal? Because, God, you do want to heal me so that I can heal others, so that there's weight to the message. I don't want a flimsy faith. I want one that says when I speak of a God who heals, that I'm the billboard of that healing. And maybe for some, there's a, there's, a, there's a priority shift with how we use our energy. If God has called you and saved you and all your energy is about you, you're missing an opportunity to give back in ways that will influence others towards moving to the one who heals, moving to the God of power and presence. So God, Holy Spirit, we're open to you. Would you come as we focus on you together? We commit this time to you in the name of Jesus.